What's up, good people in podcast land? Welcome to Convene. I'm your host, Chris Penrose. Convene is a conversation series with a narrative arc. Since 2017, we have brought the creative community in Toronto together to dive into topics ranging from creative direction and visual storytelling to contracts, pricing your work, and space to create. This podcast is dedicated to sharing the audio from those conversations. Just a heads up, when people get passionate about sharing knowledge, sometimes they throw some explicit language in there. So there's some of that in this episode. Enjoy. Convene Breaking Down Music Management had the subtitle From Therapists to A&Rs, which sums up the experience of so many who have worked in music management. It's a role that a lot of people describe that they kind of fell into, but it requires an important set of skills. Our goal here was to demystify what it takes to build a career as a music manager. This conversation featured Ricardo Chung of Ransom Management Group, Aisha Jamal, who is an entrepreneur and managed Saki Abraham, Lori Lee Boutet of Wednesday Management, and Ricky Bezadeka of The Remix Project, whose management roles include Pyrex and tour management for Division. This conversation took place as a part of the Manifesto Summit in Toronto at Freespace. So this is Ricardo Chung. Ricardo uh, runs Ransom Management Group and manages Sean Leon, Julian Thomas, and Trey Mission. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Shout out Trey. Uh, to my right is Ricky Bexide. Uh, he's contributed to Toronto's creative community through his work in the Remix Project. Uh, he's, and his work in music management includes Division and Pyrex. Um, and I am going to introduce Aisha Jamal. Sorry. She's an entrepreneur that's worked across uh, multiple industries, but her work in music is being the manager of the wonderful and super talented Zaki Ibrahim. And to my left is Lori Libute, who runs Wednesday Management, which includes Charlotte Cardin, Ralph, and Garcon. All right, so as a part of preparing for this, you know, I have conversations with each of them, and the story each of you have in terms of how you got in music management is really different, but Lori Lee, if we can start with you, can you pinpoint the moment when you were introducing yourself as a music manager and how you got to that place? Yeah, um, I mean, it's a very long-winded story. I don't think I woke up one day and was like, wow, I'm going to manage an artist's career. Um, I kind of just started, uh, I, I studied marketing at university and uh, I thought I was going to go into advertising. Um, at 18 years old, I moved to London and when I was in London, I, I, I was there for five years. I, at first to travel and then study and while I was studying, I was broke as hell. So I started a music blog to kind of just pass time and I would just kind of like spend hours finding things on SoundCloud and like creeping people and like looking at who their friends were and if they looked cool and like listening to new music and then blogging about it makes me like a professional creeper. Um, and then through that, I kind of got like a first email of someone that worked in the music industry and they were kind of just like, Hey, do you want to meet? I'm an A&R. And I was like, who is this douchebag? You know, I was like, what do you mean A&R? Um, and I met him and he was kind of explaining to me what his job was. Um, and I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, your job is to like find talent. Like, that's so cool. I want to do that. Um, and then, so I started meeting a lot of young industry people. There's a, a, 
vast amount of industry people in, in London, especially. And I eventually just got offered an A&R scout job at uh, Virgin EMI, which is a universal label in London. And I did that for two years uh, until I got fired and my visa ran out. So I came back here and I worked at Universal Canada and I kind of, everything kind of switched. And I kind of, it, it, two, two very different markets. London was much more fast paced where Canada was a bit slower. And instead of kind of just like competing over talent, I, I spent time starting to develop talent. So I would find really talent early on and, and, and put them into writing sessions or give them suggestions. And I think at one point it kind of just, I came to a point where I was like, do I want to continue working for a major or do I want to kind of take what I've, I've, I've been a part of for like a year and kind of like leave and, and, and start managing it so that I can kind of be a part of the whole process. Um, and so I decided to leave. So that was about two and a half years ago. And you were also motivated by not wanting to commute to Scarborough. Oh my God. Yeah. That's <laughs> which I'm like, I was kind of, I love Scarborough, grew up in Scarborough and, uh, I, but I did understand kind of. I gained like 10 pounds, you know, like you're just like sit in a car for an hour and then like go to sit a cubicle and then you sit back in a car for an hour and then you're like, oh my God, what is my life? Well, I also thought it was really interesting how your relationship to artists that you're investing in to truly try to help them develop. When you were with the major, the major wasn't that interested in them. But when you weren't with the major anymore, all of a sudden it's like, yeah, yeah, they were very interested in these artists. Yeah, I, I, why, like, can you explain why you think that happened and what um, people could learn from that? I mean, like, I don't know the exact reason why that happened. Uh, it might be because I started really young, so maybe there was uh, there wasn't confidence in what I was doing, and they were kind of just like, you know, like just let her do what she does, and then they're like thought it would, you know, and then so when I left, we started releasing music and. Uh, and at the time I'd left, I had Saya and Ralph and Charlotte Cardin and, uh, everything was just like started working really well, especially in streaming. And then they were like, Whoa, like we want to sign it now. And I was like, Oh, well, well a little bit too late. You know? I don't know what you have till it's gone. Right. Yeah. Um, Ricky, one of the things, you know, we were joking about is often the manager is the friend in the group. That's the least musically inclined. Um, and the most organized kind of on top of things you have a, your story into music management and your relationship to music is not quite that but you know can you talk a little bit of just that moment i know when you were on stage and yeah, um, yeah, yeah, how that course. how you went from on stage to where you are now um yeah for sure uh i think just how do i word this properly um and of course this is my opinion and my take on it is um some managers are super musically inclined, you know? I, I think, and for the most part, we don't share the same weaknesses. Um, we share the same strengths. So when we talk about organization, strategic building, um, being able to see something through, motivating people, being a consultant, um, and, and what have you. But for my specific uh, scenario, um, when I was coming up uh, in Toronto, the industry looked a lot different than it does today. Um, there wasn't really an industry. Um, so when we looked at music and thought about uh, our involvement with it was always through the, the scope of, I want to be an artist uh, because we just didn't know any better. Uh, so me and a bunch of people that I had come up with tried that. And for me, one of the first things I noticed, and I don't, I don't think I was shit. 
Uh, but I don't think I was the best. And I, don't, I, I wasn't trying to say that. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm just yeah, saying, yeah. no. Uh, but, but what made it clear to me before um, the world had told me, uh, I looked at the people next to me and I thought they were amazing. And I thought they were better than me. Um, and my excitement was around how do I support that, you know, and instead of trying to compete with that, um, how do I build that up and try to encourage that and try to do amazing things with that? Um, and as the industry grew a bit further, uh, I realized a lot of the things that I was doing and that I was passionate about was in relation to artist management um, and, and, and seeing something through and um, really wanting to see something win because you're passionate about it and um, learning how to do that. Well, and what I liked about that story of you performing and I think those gems that are there is one is that there wasn't that infrastructure or awareness of like all these behind the scenes moments, but also being able to, I think it's something that is shared by all of you and listening to your stories is seeing a talent and seeing other people around you or in your circle or that you um, just really appreciate who they are as artists and having that spark inside of I want to do something with that or I can bring that to a place or if I bring the lens that I have to it, we can take what you're doing to the next level. Yeah, 100%. And I think um, just as being a creative and doing it for the reasons that uh, you should be in and loving it and not worrying about when the finish line is or when you get that is very similar with management. Is uh, You're kind of in that passenger seat or driver's seat at sometimes and then there's no set finish line you just kind of want to do it because you love doing it and um you really want to see the person that you're, you're supporting win um, for all the right reasons and um you want to see it behind the scenes and you want to see how people receive it when it comes out the gate mm -hmm. um aisha your entry into music management is a unique one um not easily replicable which is you went from zaki's number one fan to her manager <laughs> You want to explain that? Yeah, For sure. those who don't know the story? Um, yeah, Zaki put out her first piece of music in 2006, and a friend came over and dropped off that record for me. And he was like, you have to hear this. And it was, I listened to it on repeat. And we went to every show that she did. And, you know, we, like, we literally followed her around, like fangirled hard. Um, and then Toronto is like itty-bitty city, right? So you end up in the same circles, and everybody knows each other. Um, and Zaki and I ended up becoming friends. And she was back and forth between South Africa, and every time she came to Toronto, she'd hit me up, and we'd hang out and go shop, vintage shopping and whatever. Um, and then she had, she was living in South Africa, had just had a baby, and uh, Shad was performing at Massey Hall, and they flew Zaki down to open up for him. So she had a five-month-old, and she stayed with me in that week, and she didn't have a Canadian phone number. So I was the person who was, like, coordinating the band and the rehearsal and... I was the middleman. I didn't know I was advancing the show. I had no idea. I was just being like a You're super like, organized yeah, friend. You, can use my phone. you know, like I had no idea. Um, and then, you know, the show went off really well. And at the end of the night, we're all backstage. And the director at Massey Hall is like, hey, Zaki, I've got your check. Where's your manager? And she's like, I just met my manager. She's right there. And like everyone in the room, like I'm, I, you know, I'm lucky to know like Shad and G and their whole crew. And they're all like, Jackie, like you didn't tell us. <laughs> We've been here all day and you didn't say anything. And I was like, uh-huh. Yeah. There's a reason. <laughs> yeah, for <that>. signed <laughs> for the check. And then later that night, she's like, So do you want to do it? And I was like, No, I do not want to do this. <laughs> like, I don't know anything about the music industry. Like, why no? Um, but I was like, look, I'll help you out until you find the right person. Like, I will ha happily be the person in your corner until we find you the right person. And that 
right person never came along and just I turned into it, I guess. Yeah, wow. Well, you've done an amazing job with her projects. So, and I think that those stories are really like show that it's not like a clear path to get there, right? And it's not, and as we're going to get into now, it's also such a different skill set based off of person to person. Um, Ricardo, you manage three very different artists in terms so Julian Thomas, um, Sean Leon, and Trey Mission. Their sounds are very different. Personalities are very different. Where they're at in their career is very different. And also the current projects that they're on are very different. How do you manage to work with such different people, such different artists at such different places all at the same um, time? It's tough. Uh, a lot of these guys are my friends. So I, uh, I'm like invested in them as people. So uh, Sean is a very different person where Sean's more of a leader. He's very particular about his sound, how he looks. Uh, like he just has, like he's a genius in a sense where he knows what his next move is going to be. And Julian's a little different because Julian is uh, in a development stage. So he's, we're still building his brand. We're still figuring out exactly what his sound is going to be because he's still finding it himself. Um, and, you know, he's in a total different space where Trey's more of like an OG and Trey's been in the game for years. And Trey's been around the block a few times and he's... Uh, He's a little bit more uh, like open to suggestions and open to trying new things. And, you know, so they're all three different people in at different stages in their career, but they both love what they do or they all love what they do. And um, I relate to that. And um, just, uh, I, I guess for me, it's just dividing the time and just making sure that I'm devoting enough time to each project or to each thing that's happening. Is that something you do off of intuition or are you looking at your agenda and just um, um, I think it just, it varies from like week to week, month to month, day to day, like things get thrown at you differently. And it's just like prior, prioritizing like what needs to be done first or, you know, what is the next thing to be done here or something like that, you know. When I hear that, I guess one of the things I'm curious about is whether in a good way the differences in their experience and where they're at and, and how they operate kind of bleeds into the other, like... You know, do you find that some of Trey's experience and having been around a few times informs how you're working with Julian or Sean or, or Sean's clarity? I think, you know? I think I've learned uh, skill sets from working with all three. And I've like, I don't say that I've, I, uh, like, I don't treat anybody the same, you know, because every artist is different and every artist has like different things that they like, and different things they don't like. Um, but I definitely will use certain things that I've learned from each, because each person has a different situation. Like Trey's had a record deal his whole life and Julian's in a new deal and Sean's independent. So they're all at like different levels, you know, and um, just implementing different things that I've learned from different situations that can kind of help benefit. Um, one of the questions I asked each of you uh, was about what the artists you would work, that you work with might say about you as a manager if you weren't in the room. Um, and you're all like, I hope they would say, um, on a good day, but at, like in that vein, I guess the same kind of question is what is it about you that you think makes you a good music manager? Um, and what about you and who you are as a person? Um, do you think that the artists you work with 
um, would would highlight if they were speaking about the, the role you play in their career? Anyone want to jump in? That's so tough. <laughs> I'm super organized. So that is probably what Zach would tell you, is that I'm super organized and I'm very resourceful. That's something that I've always been. Um, so I hope that, well, I'm pretty sure that's what she would say. And, and you see that a lot, like especially the resourcefulness when you're looking at, you're working with artists and, and you're working with them before you have a big budget, before you know that you can just get someone to sign the check for an idea. You have to find a way to make that vision happen. Those ideas by being resourceful. Um, Ricky, you wanted to answer that? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's a multi-layered answer to this question because there's a lot going on. Um, but I think the first thing that comes to my mind is, um, you know, you, you as a manager are more invested um, with the artist holistically in terms of their life, um, their community, their uh, family, their aspirations, their five-year goals, their 10-year goals, um, and being able to chip away at those or support those through their careers in music. So um, as you're problem solving or planning or building um, through the art form, I think something that I hold close to me is you're still dedicating as much time to everything that's going around in the young person's ecosystem or the artist's ecosystem um, and jumping ahead of the curve and giving them ideas or building on things that um, are passions and, and necessities to them for, you know, building community or future success. Because, you know, um, the music is the now, the music is the pursuit, but, you know, it's, it's hand in hand with life. And it's our duty to make sure that we're aware of that and supporting that, uh, that side of it because it all feeds back to the music. Um, so I think that's, you know, if you ask any artist that I work with, I would hope that they say is, you know, he, he, it goes beyond just music with us, you know, and it's, it's about supporting me as a person. You know, it's interesting you say that because I, when I, as you're saying that, I think one of your strengths is the ability to not just make people feel like you care, but like we were talking about children, my children, right? And it's like you remember, like boy, girl. Oh, so who is the next one? That's a girl. Oh, okay, boy, girl, girl. Like that investment that you have in people, um, and actually like genuinely caring about what's going on in their world, at, like that's a key, right, for you as a manager. Yeah, I think I think um, in 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 life in general, but more so in management, because a lot of it is based on reference points, relationships, and uh, you, you, there's no you're not running a course. Every interaction, uh, situation, uh, work experience, ideal desires or outcomes are different. Um, but it starts with just understanding who you want that from and who you're working with. Um, and being genuine, being in the room when people are talking to you and, and, and listening and, and, you know, all that shit matters. It matters a lot. Definitely. Um, Ricardo? I mean, similar to what Ricky's saying, I think it's a, a very personal business. And I think you have to be invested in people. Um, you got to, I think for me, um, just knowing that I, I would hope that they would say they could count on me and they could rely on me. Um, they could say that I'm, I'm calm. I don't think that I ever like panic in situations. Um, and just trust. Like I think just because it's music and uh, 
especially being an artist, it could be scary, I think, just not knowing who's in your corner sometimes. So I think just, uh, just counting on the fact that they can trust me is huge. That, I guess in any, whether you're touring or you're at an event or whatever, just being able to, in the room, look at that face and know like, this person knows exactly. what's going on and this person has my best interest though. Exactly. Like and as a manager, that. like you yeah. want that person to trust you because you have to speak on their behalf yeah. sometimes, right? So, um, Lori Lee? Yeah, I mean, like, I think I agree with all those answers. Um, I think especially when you have an artist that starts really going, you know, if, if you if things get really exhausting and th things become a lot and things happen with super low budgets, you know, like you'll end up doing three tours back to back on the most minimal tour budget. And it's about understanding, you know, understanding the person that you're working with. Like if they're tired, how do you fix that? Like, do you have to cancel promo? Is It's going to piss everybody off, but that's, you need to kind of focus on their emotional state and how they are and kind of like taking who they are and, and, and putting that towards work and strategizing around what path you're going to take dependent on that specific person. One of the things that I hear kind of as a theme is like being reliable, being strong, being on top of things. Um, my grandmother used to always talk about this quote of like, she doesn't feel sorry for the weak of the world because they have the strong to be there for them, but who is strong for the strong? Um, and I'm just wondering like in terms of being reliable, in terms of being strong for people, in terms of being on top of things, where do you each find like strength for yourself or like if you have so many people relying on you, um, do you have people that you can rely on? Um, 100%. I think uh, I look at the people that are around me um, that I work with on a day-to-day -day basis and some of my closest friends as consultants. I think as people in general, we don't value uh, the resource of having the ability to consult with people um, and think things through, whether it's to, to get through decision-making stuff or that idea of like, you know, when, when, when are you going to take care of yourself? But um, I think a lot of times people go autopilot and think that they have to figure things out on their own um, or only deal with people that are professionals in their own industry. But um, there's a value in consulting with people that you trust and people that uh, want to see you win and, and can hear what you're going through and give you just feedback. I mean, if you take a bit from a conversation that I'm having with you and a conversation that I'm having with somebody else, um, you get to formulate kind of like plans of actions and, and get that relief or get that kind of uh, next, next push. Um, and I don't do it with everybody, but there's a few people and a handful of people that I work with on a day-to-day -day basis that know everything that's going on and, and I know everything that's going on with them and um, we use each other like consultants, you know? And like an ecosystem as well, right? Like of support. That's it. What about... Um... I think it's also different too, you know, we have very different roles from uh, musicians. Like when you're a musician, you're kind of like, your project is you and you're incredibly vulnerable and every day you, you go and you write a song about your experience and then you perform it in front of people and then everybody's watching. And I think that's a different type of self-care that someone needs, you know? Like, I don't have that vulnerability. I, get, I have the uh, ability to hide behind it and to control it, so I don't, I don't necessarily need... You know, as much kind of taking caring as someone who does that needs. But, you know, like obviously there are different ways that you yourself have to go switch off because you do dedicate your whole life to making sure everybody else is, is, is doing fine. But it's, you know, if you look at what they're doing, it's incredibly tough. And especially when, the, when, when it really starts going, like it, it becomes really exhausting and mentally challenging. And 
and and it's a it's a whole different ball game. So I think it's just like I don't think I'd necessarily need that support that an artist needs when they're going through that. But you find you know you, you yeah, run. That's a, that's a big difference because you're right. You are pouring out as an artist so much of who you are personally. Even even if it's a crafted image, it's still at the end of the day you performing that. Um, or if it's just your lyrics are your actual life experiences. Either way, um, Aisha, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, you, I mean, you need people on both sides. You need people who are in the industry that you can talk to and rely on and bounce ideas off of. Um, and then you need people in your own community, in your own world. Um, and the thing is, is that they're not going to understand what position you're in. They don't understand what you do on a daily basis. So you really have to break it down for them so that way they know how to be there for you. Um, I still work full time and my boss has been that person for me. Um, Did your boss listen to Zaki? You know, it came full circle because my boss and Dave Gannett went to school together. Dave Gannett um, runs Pirates Blend. Yeah, and so when I got into it, and Dave was really my mentor through everything, so when Dave found out that I worked with Mike Couch, he was like, oh, my God, I love this guy. Um, so, so Mike already knew because he'd already done some work for Dave back in the day for, like, um, you know, some past tours that they had done. So when Mike found out that I was doing this, he was so supportive of me, but he was able to give me the leeway I needed at work when I needed to tour um, and just be like, that's cool. You know, I would leave the office at any given point in time because I had to run to the studio or Zachy didn't have a babysitter. And I was like, no, this opportunity needs to happen. I'm going to go and babysit that kid. Um, so having those people who understand you, who I'm with on a daily basis to give you the leeway that you need to make it happen was super important for me. And I couldn't have done it without that. Ricardo, um, where do you find the support and how do you um, I think it? I'm blessed because I went to Remix and um, because of Remix, I have mentors like Ricky and other guys that I can ask questions because it's, it's not something that uh, like you're taught. You're kind of learning on the fly. So as things come, it's like, I don't know what to do sometimes. So it's like you ask somebody that's already been through it, you know, and I'm lucky to have those guys. So help me out. I think that's one thing we don't speak about enough, but I, I remember I was actually, I saw Jellystone last night. Um, we were talking about his support as an artist who really did a lot in the city, but now he's working with younger artists like Pyrex and Hillaby and Next Generation. And he, one of the things he said that was interesting is he didn't have 30 and 40 year old um, people around him yeah. who had been through it to ask questions. And it's like, when you look at a scene like New York, they're moving into like the fifth, sixth generation of hip hop um, where people have been through it and showing each other or just in terms of, um, the music industry there, whereas here we're like looking at it like our, we're in our third generation. But I think it's a special thing where you look at, you know, the people who've been a part of Remix yeah. have like a whole generation of people who've done music and culture professionally to go to. And the difference that that makes is huge. Yeah. And you just can't be afraid to ask questions, right? Yeah. I mean, even up to five years ago, I would say that, like, the Canadian music industry was so weak. The only things you really heard about was, like, Universal Canada and Arts and Crafts. And, like, that's that, that was it, you know? Like, every manager had been around for, like, 100 years. Um, and then you, and then it, it was kind of like you kind of see the emergence of, of you know, like, there's probably, like, 10 really sick young managers um, coming up in Toronto and it, and it almost provided a community because no one else really had anyone to talk to except for each other being like, oh, you did that? Like, how did you do that? Oh, yeah, that's cool. Like, you know, who are you working with? And like, I think the doors are really open and it's changed a, so much in the past like five years. That's exciting. Um, 
one of the things I wanted to ask you relate that you kind of reminded me of when you said that is you spent some time working kind of a dream job with like this glass office in the UK where the scene is really developed, even the infrastructure, like they have like BBC One is like a place for globally exposing music. And and then um, you're coming back to um, Toronto where like the difference between the industries are, was huge, especially at the time you came back. Is there, are there things that you learned in your experience in the UK that are, is helping you with what you're doing with Wednesday management? Oh my God. Like I, I have so, I have such an amazing support system because I have like crazy mentors, you know, like all my old bosses, like, you know, one of them signed blur at 24 and like the, the other one just signed Dua Lipa. So they're like crazy mentors that I've had. And I've had people to ask questions to and um, you like like you say you really need a community because I think it, it, you learn this later on but like there's no rules you know what I mean like no one tells you what to do and there's no right way to do it because it really just depends you kind of just like put things out into the world hope it happens and when something's breaks you kind of just follow the path and hope something's going to come out of it um, but but until you have that confidence to accept that that's how it goes forward, you kind of need people in your corner to ask questions to, you know, like, who do you, how do you feel about this? How did you do this? And I, I was super, like, I, I was incredibly lucky to have had that experience in London. And I, and I have a, a massive network over there and all, you know, like all of my really close friends and, and they've been incredibly helpful in, in, in what I'm doing hundred percent. I think um, that line of having the confidence to thoughtfully throw things out in the world, see what sticks, and then when it does, like really work that is a really interesting insight about music management. Like thinking back on all the stories you all have shared, it's it, a lot of it is that. Um, Ricky, I wanted to say, talk a little bit about tour management. So when I was talking to Ricardo, he's like, "Yo, I would never be a tour manager. <laughs> and then I was thinking of you saying, one of the main things you do is tour management. Can you just talk about the inside of that? Like, what is it like? Why do people look at that as like the craziest part of this work? And how do you survive it and thrive? Because you were, you know, thriving with Division World Tour. Yeah, we've been, um, so for Division, we got a small team of incredible people. So we all wear multiple hats. Um, and, and one of the ones that I take on, um, of course, with support is being on road with the guys and taking care of that world. But, um, yeah, I guess, I guess the, the major difference between, uh, managing things on the road, especially a tour is everything is in the now. Um, a lot of the work we do, uh, in the music industry as managers, as, as support systems to artists is is planning, is uh, prep, is strategic uh, ideas and getting there and, and traveling there and a lot of behind the scenes work before the world gets to see it. Um, in tour, there's a lot of preparation that goes into it, but every day um, you're responsible for travel, uh, accommodations, uh, hospitality, um, people's well-being, making sure people feel good, nobody's sick, um, the show must go on. So we're talking about what time doors open, Merch setup, merch settlement, settling with the with the venues, um, production, lighting, sound check, um, and all of these these things that I'm saying play into each other. So there can't nothing can really go wrong, um, and it falls on on 
the, the road management, tour management's uh, responsibilities to see that through. Um, and it's and it's nonstop. You know, we've been lucky enough with Division that uh, we've been able to to tour the world for the last uh, just under three years. And you know, there's perks with it too. I got to see the world while I'm working. But um, you know, you often find yourself being the last one to sleep, first one awake, and making sure that uh, the show must go on and go on in a real way, in a valuable way. And there's a lot of moving pieces that kind of uh, affect the other one. So. You know, getting your checklist together, making sure that everything makes sense, making sure people feel good, making sure that the experience from when the tour bus pulls up or the flight lands um, to when the last person leaves the venue as an audience, everything was was as you imagined it when you're planning this this tour and this rollout. Um, well, you said checklist, like, and that's one of the things I want to know, like, how much of it is literally like you have a list? How much of it is muscle memory? How much of it is just like? intuition and foresight looking around you um well i'll say this the music industry is the type of industry where uh you could you could you could study and work but there's nothing like real experience um and even furthermore on, on tour so you learn from the first show and the second show and you start building your kind of uh best practices and for me with you know everything that i mentioned and a lot more um, a good reference place is just having somewhere to go and be like, okay, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. And I find I work better when, you know, I have a mental checklist and then a physical checklist because from the physical checklist, other things will stem from it um, that are specific to that day. But that's kind of like the, the, you know, the margins, the boundaries, the, the if the, if you look at these things, anything else that may arise based on the city you're in, based on the capacity of the venue, based on the guests that are coming, based on the, the set length or the set whatever, they'll present themselves if you go through this. And that's kind of my philosophy with how we operate is knowing that, okay, before um, anything else, we got to make sure that everything's good. Well, and that's a lot to manage like being the last one to sleep, first one up, and all of those things you mentioned, if everything goes right. What's the zone that you get into um, when something goes wrong? Like, where, what's your mind state? What's the kind of like inner mantra in that moment? Um, is it the, the show it, must go This is a good around? segue because I don't think any of us brought this up, but you got to be a, a, a wizard with problem solving. Um, and a lot of it is, is on the fly, you know, because... Tension is real and energy is real. And um, the artist specifically should never know something's wrong. So even if the, the, the magnitude of the issues is massive, you gotta, you gotta figure that out. And you gotta figure it out in a way where you're keeping your cool and getting things done. And, and people don't really need to find out until they have to. Um, but one of my things is before you give, before you address a pro or present a problem, you should at least have three solutions. Um, and one of those solutions should be the right solution. Two of them should work. Uh, you shouldn't have any answer that's not gonna work. Um, and you should already have that emotion. So if it has to get to a place where people have to know what's going on, they also have to feel comfort that it's being fixed. Um, Good life advice as well. Like problem comes up, <laughs> three workable solutions, and one of them should be the right one. A lot of, a lot of uh, skill sets in music are transferable to just life, man, yeah. for sure. I just wanted to highlight a point that Ricky said about uh, it's about making sure the artist doesn't know. And I know there's a lot of artists that are like, why didn't I get looped in? Like, why aren't you telling me everything? But I, it, it, it's very true. I think the the music industry, when you have like f 
a hundred partners, you know, like you have your initial team and then you have a hundred people. Everybody, everybody is very dramatic about everything and they have very specific needs and the specific needs fall into like a very small box. And if you can't fulfill that box, you know, people get very upset. But then meanwhile, you're trying to please like a hundred people that are all pulling you in different directions. I think that when you're an artist and you're already putting so much of yourself out there and all of your energy out there, it's like really tough to then learn you know, that 18 people are freaking out because you don't want to do this, but they're going to get over it tomorrow because da-da-da-da. So there is kind of like a a world or, 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 you know, I think as a, a manager, it's your job to make sure that these problems get solved and that artists don't have to be a part of it because, like, it, most of it is very, very temporary and it's really in the moment. And I just wanted to highlight that point. Energy is a keyword in that because you, you're like an energy healer provider throughout the entire thing, right? Because on top of like you stressing out inside and trying to make sure everything is okay, you are making sure not just the artist, but every single band member. Like when you go on tour, people think, oh, you manage this artist. But then there's six other artists there too that you are also managing. Um, and you have to know them inside out because it's just not going to work if you don't. And you have to provide the right environment for them um, to make it all run smoothly. I know you were nodding as well, Ricardo. Yeah, no, I agree totally. It's about like not panicking sometimes. And like Ricky said, just like, what are the solutions, right? And like, yeah, there's a problem, but how can I fix this before, you know, it has to get there kind of thing. Well, and it's such a fine line to walk because a lot of times trust is about communication and you're feeling yeah. like, you didn't tell me something I should know. That's breaking, you're not communicating. You're not trust, you know, you're not trusting me with this information versus like, having that trust from them where they trust your decision-making and knowing that you have their best interest at heart and that, you know, if they need to be in a zone to perform, they don't need to be worried about, like, there's a wire missing, you know, and where's the nearest Best Buy? And, oh, Best Buy's closed right now. What's plan? I mean, no matter what, too, like, no matter what you do, everything you do, something will go wrong. Always. Like, nothing nothing I've ever done has not had one thing go wrong. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like putting things out there and then and then like holding tight and be like, here we go. And then just being slapped in the face with every problem possible you could have. So know? do each of you kind of go into the day or go into the project like with that kind of acceptance that like there's going to be a lot of shit that's going to go wrong and we'll deal with it with like professionalism and smile, but like expecting that and knowing that's going to happen while obviously you're not trying to make that things go wrong either. In any part of the project, you have to know right from the get-go that what you are setting out to do is not going to be the outcome. And you have to be okay with that. Um, I, I don't, you know. Um, I, I, I'm ready for, or we're, my team, every, you know, we're ready to problem solve, but we also put an emphasis on preparation. Um, and I think, you know, having the confidence and in going into something uh, and wanting the best outcome for it allows you to deal with, you know, things that come up in the right way. Um, so I like to say nine out of ten times we, we, we do enough, we make sure we do enough preparation to feel really good about, you know, whether it's a show, a tour, a, a press run. Um, and if something comes up, we'll deal with it. But, but no, I... I you know, and it could be different. There's no wrong answer, but I go into something feeling good about it because 
we've we've worked on it. Um, the variables that we don't know, I don't really try to think about, try to think about things that are in our control um, and, and prepare for that and, and rehearse and, and, you know, have that, that time to figure it out beforehand. Well, I think it's like, I, you know, like I, I don't think you think about it. I don't think about, I don't start my day being like a whole bunch of problems are going to happen, you know, like I kind of just start my day, you know, and I just answer emails and do what I can do. And, and at the end of the day, it's about pushing the project forward. I think, you know, your biggest goal as a manager is to make sure that the project is always moving forward. It easily can get, you know, stuck. And it's how do we, whatever it is, it's more about like, how do we make sure that this keeps on moving forward every day? I'd, you know, there's no, uh, yeah, I, I, until I said it, you know, I'm not, no one's sitting around being like, Oh, all the problems. It's it's almost just innate. It's just like very natural to kind of move everything forward. Well, I, I mean, for me, when I listen to that, I think that the more prepared you are, um, you know, the more you reduce preventable challenges and preventable things that are unforeseen. Um, or, But it's also like I used to see this a lot with event planners, like really – um, mediocre event planners, like it's like, you know, four times the work that they thought it would be or 10 times the work that they thought it would be. An amazing event planner, it's still going to be double what you're planning because there's, you know, you, there are so, the more stakeholders and people that are involved. And I think like that's a really interesting balance to walk is, is putting so much into your team in preparation, knowing that you have all the pieces in place, um, thinking it through, having, having that vision, but also having... I think there are personalities and there are careers that are not as good with dealing with the unexpected um, and managing that. So I think that's a really like valuable point to think about when we're talking about music management. Um, Ricardo, wanted, I wanted to ask you something that really resonated with me um, about what you shared, which was when you hear the music, you, you said that you get excited about what you can do with it. Yeah. You get excited about where it can go. And like, um, where does that come from? And what are some of those things that spark in you? Like you hear the song and you're like, what, what do you mean by that? Like, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm kind of different from Ricky, whereas um, I'm not creative at all. So I can't make any music or anything like that. So I don't try. Um, but I'm more so excited when like I get that email or I'm in the studio and we have that song and we like, yeah, this is a song, you know? Um, it just starts like turning the wheels in your head you start thinking about ways that you can maximize the opportunities from it. What are some of those things that are popping up? Like when you say the wheels are turning, like what starts sparking? So you're, you hear the song, you feel like this is something we can work with, we can move forward. But what are, what's going through your mind? What are some of those sparks um, that are flying? Videos, sometimes it's about syncs. Uh, sometimes it's about um, just playlisting. Like there's a lot of things that I think would just come to mind and it's like, once I get that song, it's like I could start thinking about uh, what is the best like route or like what is the best place that I can kind of give this song or project uh, the best chance to succeed. And um, yeah, it just starts turning the wheels in my head and I get really excited about that. And that's probably one of my most like favorite things is like we have that final because music is never done until it's like done. Like they say, it's, you know, it's, they're always working on it. But when it's like, okay, this is the album or this is the song. It's like, okay, now I'm excited. Let's go to work. How can I plan it out kind of thing? Yeah, I remember that there was a Tribe Called Quest documentary and Midnight Marauders, like 
in most people's opinion, is a perfect album. And Q-Tip still hears things that he wants to change, change on it. Like right? I think there was like I think in the movie, if if I recall correctly, there was like a physical confrontation over taking the master out of his hands because he was like still wanted to, to, to work fix on it. it. Yeah. And it was like of all albums, like you know. That one, the artist still thinks they need work on it. Obviously, it's um, always a work in process um, or progress. Um, Aisha, you didn't come into the music industry by having previous involvement in the music where, you know, a lot of the managers we talked to are around music, part of the music community. Uh, what was something that you had to learn that a lot of the people who you're, con you know, um, colleagues who did come up in the music, maybe it came a little bit more naturally to them or they had more experience with. And what's something that you brought to the role of music manager that was a strength that um, isn't as common with people who are really in the music industry? Um, I had a pretty huge learning curve because um, I literally knew nothing about the music industry. Um, there was a lot of the basics that you know people would have in conversations, words that they, that they would use that meant nothing to me. So that I really had to learn like sync and licensing and publishing and masters and this part of the song and points on this and you know like when you start breaking it down and actually where the money flows because I'm a money person and I'm like I need to know where that's happening. You know, all of these things were happening. I'd be sitting in meetings, and I wouldn't know what any of those things meant. So, you know, you can read books, like, all oh, everything you know to how to be a music manager, but <laughs> it's not going to help you that much. You have to have, like, a circle of people who are going to break all of that down to you and what it actually means, you know? We have a great grant system in Canada, but unless you know the ins and outs of it, it's really not going to help you. So that was that is what I had to learn. And it wasn't until we applied for the first grant, got it, went through the whole process that I actually learned it because people will tell you, but you have to do it yourself. So that was a huge, and just, you know, the industry in Canada is different from other places and Zaki's based in South Africa and in Canada. So it wasn't just learning Canada, it was learning how things run there as well. Um, so there, that was twofold on that side. Um, and then, you know, contacts, everybody seems to know each other and I didn't have that. So when you really, we really rely on each other in Canada and trying yeah. with the people that we know. I said that to you on the phone. Yeah, I was good. That, yeah. that was actually the, the next question I wanted to get into for all of you is like, okay, there's the skills, there's staying calm under pressure, there's the foresight, there's, um, you know, the ability to understand people and connect with people. Those are all important skills. But how much of a manager's role is the relationships that they have because you were talking about like, oh, I'll just go have a meeting with Spotify. I'm like, okay, if I try to set up a meeting with Spotify, they're not answering my email. Um, yeah, um, I, I, what I was saying is, is like, uh, I don't know if, I, I only know this industry in Toronto, but I don't know if this is anywhere else. But I noticed in Toronto specifically, it's very like uh, community kind of based. Like you got to kind of know the person before you email the person kind of thing or else they're not going to really respond to you. And I don't know like where that comes from or what it is, but for me, um, I had to like go to these places, go to these events, have these drinks, meet these agents, um, let them know my face so that I'll email you in the morning kind of thing. And um, that for me was like a game changer because again, if, you're, if you have a great artist and you're a manager and you're out in Kitchener or Barrie, you're not going to know the guys in the city that are going to help push the needle for your artist. You got to kind of meet them and that's to me was like a huge thing about what's going on in this industry in Toronto is that it's so uh, community and person based and you know 
it's it's more about just the artist, but they actually want to know who the people are behind the scenes kind of thing, you know? What about the rest of you? What do you think of that element of how crucial the relationships the manager has are to what what the artist can achieve? And also another layer to that is as the artist grows in success, how do those how does your access and your relationships as a manager um, come into that? Um, relationships are important in general, um, as it applies to anything in life. Uh, you call who you know, um, regardless if you're looking for a store to buy something, um, access to an event, um, your friend is sick and you want to get some sort of natural um, therapy or whatever, you call who you know. Um, so that's the same way in music, you call who you know. So in, in that light, relationships are super important because when you're thinking about strategy and you're thinking about what would be amazing for this specific uh, song, moment, campaign, you also want to attach it with a call who I know. Um, that allows you to think a bit more broader and allows you to start pinpointing access points and, and getting responses from people that you want to reach out to. But you're, you can also develop relationships. And I think... Um, Music is still king in our industry, so don't think if you're aspiring to be a music manager um, and you have a really talented artist that you really want to work with, um, that it's not possible or impossible based on your current relationships, um, because those will come. Music is still king, and in the day we're in now, it's easy to share music. Um, probably one of the easiest things to share in general. You know, you put it up online, and someone in Japan could be listening right now. Um, and it's made the world a community, um, and there's digital platforms that are the highest frequented uh, places to find music. So relationships will come, but there is a very um, important need to develop relationships and nurture relationships and, and, and build on those as you're, you're working on your music and, and building your career as a music manager. Yeah, I think I, I also agree. I think that, you know... I. Being a manager with really good connections opens doors. It does make things really easier. But at the end of the day, song is king. And you've seen it so many times that, like, these, you know, there's, a, like, a community of kids and they've been working on music and all of a sudden they put music online and it blows. And then all of a sudden they're, like, you know, the, the friend manager is, like, I'm the manager, like, sweating because they can't believe what <laughs> happened. Um, and from there they kind of grow into this position and then they get the connections, you know? I think it, it music is king, and if you believe in something, you just got to put it out there, and then from putting it out there, you meet people and you grow. It's all about moving things forward. Um, the number one thing is to just, you know, when you do have those relationships, not be a dick, because I think a lot of the time, people do quickly get arrogant because something blows up on the internet, and then they end up you know, like getting rid of everyone. And then what you end up learning is that like, you know, you got lucky once and when you're trying to claw your way back up to the top, if you're a dick, no one's going to want to help you out. So it's a question about, you know, like putting things out there, being a good person, you know, like, and, and doing your best and maintaining relationships and growing. But, you know, like Ricky said, if you got something great, it, it doesn't matter at the end of the day if you know a guy at Spotify, if you know a guy at Apple, if it's fucking good, it's just going to fly. So... Yeah, I feel that. Um, we, we do have to wrap up. Um, I have one more question for all of you, which is um, around the skill set. So all of you came into it without going to like some kind of college or university programs to become a music manager. 
um, but have pulled on so many other experiences and education and relationships in your life. But if there was something formal, like some kind of college or university program for music management, what would you say would be like the key skill, key best practice, key area of study that um, should be a part of that? I mean, I think the the only, to me, and this is very personal, so I'm sorry if you did go study music business, but the only place that can really do that for you is the Remix Project um, because it's based off of community building. And at the end of the day, that's what you need to do, when you, especially when you're an artist manager, is build your community, is meet people, do as much as you can. And I do think that if you're, you know, reading a book about the music like industry, it just like... I, I, it just it it doesn't stick, and you don't you know you're gonna walk out and be like, hi, a contract should mark down the points when like in reality it doesn't like it doesn't matter, you know. It's just you just figure shit out as it goes. <laughs> Any other thoughts on that? Are there? I know um like for you and Aisha, one of the things you talked about a lot with just being an entrepreneur and and working with the clients that you work with and was understanding like contracts and and and. While just studying that on paper wasn't how you learned it, but doing it in real life and then understanding contracts really helped you in those conversations as a manager. Yeah, I mean, I come from a place of working for like large companies like Loblaws where nothing was going to happen unless something was a document was signed. And then I came into the music industry and that's not how it works. And so when you asked the question earlier about like what was one of the skills that I brought that other people were able to learn from was that. Um, you know, there was a lot of situations that I got into with Zaki of past stuff where it was a handshake, it was a, you know, we're going to do this song. It was, you know, the last record deal didn't even have a signature on the contract. So then we get, get into who owns this record. Like, there were so many things that came up because there weren't proper contracts in place. So when I started to work with her, that was one of the main things that I made sure that I did. And you kind of have to navigate it because they are personal relationships. Zaki's been in the industry a long time, and she has made she knows a ton of people. So you have to know who you can trust and, you know, not push those things too far. But you do have to stand your ground because it will come and bite you in the ass later. Closing thoughts on, on that, or, that um, or any other closing thought? I mean, uh, a lot of the skills that um, I think that I've learned um, are not skills that I think um, are taught in, like, university and stuff like that. But um, I do think that, like, you know, budgeting is important. And, um, you know, like you said, terms, terminology. So I think, you know, you have to kind of learn on the fly. So if there's a course that kind of teach you some terminology, that could be cool. Um, leadership team building, like there's a lot, but I, again, I don't know if those are practices that are taught in like universities and things like that, but. Although, I mean, I think my question is more geared to okay. if it was, and if I think it wasn't, you're, you're yeah, hitting I them, like leadership, sure. budgeting, yeah. contracts, uh, even like, I guess it's co-op, like building community, getting those relationships out there um, and not staying inside of a textbook. Um, closing thought on that? Yeah, I think it's everything um, everybody's been saying. It's really just, uh, access to information, um, current information, because this industry is evolving daily. Um, so having access to people that are currently doing it on, on, an in, on a real level for, for relevant information, access to community, people that are at the same level as you and learning at the same pace as you, and um, not just in music management, but the contributing factors. So maybe some artists, some producers, some graphic designers, some people in PR to understand the other elements that 
you know, as a music manager, you you rely on all these other uh, professionals to help push your message. It's like some literacy of what those professions entail so that you can better communicate, better collaborate with those yeah. different professionals. And then space, yeah. a yeah. place where people come together and, and, you know, have access to community and have access to information and have access to or have the opportunity to ask questions based on what what the makeup of that room is. Well, I want to thank you all for being a part. Oh, you got a question. I, I, do, I, do we have time? Can we do a Q? Just one? Throw it out? Yeah. Um, that's a great question because a lot of those things are oversights until you do it. And you might think that, hey, this tour is going to gross, uh, for simple math, 100000 And then when you look at the check and the taxes and all the hidden costs, you end up with 45000 and you budgeted for seventy thousand, thinking you'd profit thirty, but really put into the store, and then you're in the hole, thirty-five thousand or twenty-five thousand, whatever that math is. Um, so, it's great that you're thinking about these things, especially if you're going on tour, um, because there's a real realities that pop up when you go settle at the end of the night with uh, the buyer, and then they go through the settlement sheet, and you're like, oh shit, hospitality wasn't just something that you guys provided; it came out of our budget. Oh, the venue. Oh. The, the profit splits, oh, we, we can sell out, so that guarantee is not this guarantee. And, uh, oh, there's a 30% tax that just gets withheld. You know, there, there's a lot of things that get hit. Um, it's The answer is, is a long one. I would say for sure try to um, run all, and again, it's, it's, you know, this isn't the rule to live by, but try to get, as much currency in one one format as possible. Um, all these people do real business, and they can they can wire you American cash. They can wire you whatever. So I'll try to do it all in, in a certain currency. Um, and I don't think you should walk with with money or, or a bunch of checks. You know, it's, if you could get it wired to somewhere, because they do that as well. Um, it just helps put less risk on whoever's carrying all of that money. Um, and a place that you can then go, you get your settlement sheet, you could cross-reference or whatnot. But that's that's a long, that's that's a lot. If you're going on tour and you're going to deal with those things, we could talk later and we could dive into it. But that's that's a lot. You're asking the right questions. Um, I, I want to say I got some good news. We have five minutes apparently. No, oh, we don't have any. Okay, so I, the paper um, was wrong. But all right, so I, mean, I just want to say to everybody, here. thank you very much for being a part of this. Um, in terms of our panel. Yeah. It's been amazing having Thank each you. of you a part of this and the the role of a music manager that's willing to take all of the risk on in terms of if things go wrong, it's on you and figuring it out. But having the vision and investing in an artist and believing them with your blood, sweat and tears is a beautiful thing. And it's been great getting to know more about your craft. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Thank you, Manifesto. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find out more about Convene at watervision.com or on Instagram. That's W-A-T-R Vision. Convene is founded and produced by myself, Chris Penrose, through Watervision Creative. Production, editing, and sound design of this episode is all done by Martin Agnon. We are going to keep these conversations going, so we will connect again on the next episode.